The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Capgemini, a global leader in technology and digital transformation. Visit us online at www.capgemini.com and learn how Capgemini can help you get the future you want. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 30th edition of the Automotive News Europe podcast. I'm Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a e and today I have three very special guests. I am going to be joined by, first and foremost, Automotive News Europe Associate Publisher and Editor, Luca Ciaferi. Luca, thanks for being here. Hello, Doug. Thanks. Also joining us is Automotive News Europe News Editor, Peter Siegel. Hi, Peter. Hi there. And last but not least, Automotive News Europe, UK correspondent, Nick Gibbs. Hi, Nick. Hi, Doug. I'm really, really grateful to have you guys all here today. We are going to be talking about hits and misses with technology, and I'd like to start talking about something that all of us have had some interesting experiences with, which is navigation systems in these new generation models. Peter, could you tell us about an interesting experience you might have had with the navigation system. Well, sure, happy to. Recently, I was testing the new Peugeot 308 uh, in southern France, and the test site was the Nice airport. And I don't know if there was a force field around the airport or something, but uh, the loop we were supposed to test the car went out of the airport, down a service road, around a few uh, roundabouts, and then in theory, out into the French countryside. It would have been a great opportunity to test a, a really dynamic car, and I was looking forward to it. So I, I got the car, I, I booted up the navigation system, I started heading out of the airport, and right away I, I could see there was gonna be a problem because you know, you can see on the map where you're going, and it looked like I was going into a bowl of spaghetti with the red, and sort of the, the red uh, line showing me where I was going. So I made it through one roundabout, and then it sent me to another roundabout, and then I noticed everything kind of looked familiar, and I was back at the first roundabout, and I was stuck in this industrial park. And so I, I kind of cheated and jumped over to the next loop of spaghetti on the navigation system, and I followed that, and it took me down a road that sort of got narrower and narrower, and the road looked like it hadn't been used in a long time. I thought, well, this is strange. It, it must just be a small secondary road. And then I turned a corner, and I ran into a wall. The road ended at a wall. And I couldn't see what was behind the wall. Maybe the road continued. I don't know. So at this point, I was getting a little frustrated. So I tried to, went back to my starting point at the airport, and the same thing happened. So I turned the navigation system off and drove up and down the highway for about half an hour. And then because we had to catch a plane, I parked the car. And they asked me how the car was, and I said, oh, it was great. And Luca, I think you also had an experience very similar to Peter's with a navigation system. Is that right? Yes, Doug. Well, my experience was slightly different because uh, uh, I was uh, alerted by the car that was available an upgrade, an update of uh, the maps of the navigation system. So I hoped that connecting my phone or my car to my internet, I was able to do it over there. And I discovered that it wasn't possible that I have to do it on the computer. So I downloaded the new maps uh, on my desktop. Then I moved them to a USB stick and I went to the car to install the updated navigation uh, maps. And the first surprise was that uh, you had to sit down in the car with the safety belt back for the entire 
hour and a half that was the planned duration of the map updating uh, process. So luckily it was a Sunday. I took my um, uh, laptop with me and I followed a Formula One race while in the car with the buckle seat belt waiting to the process to be completed. The process took to be completed about two and a half an hour. And the following day, I proudly used the navigation system to go to Turin. I live 20 kilometers away from Turin. I have the only way to go to Turin, so I normally don't use the navigation system to go there. And the funny thing was that the first suggestion that the updated map system gave me was to turn right in a road that's been closed permanently six years ago. So it looks like that the time I spent on Sunday for updating the maps was basically useless. And after two hours, you still had a system that wasn't working absolutely perfectly. And Nick, have you also had some interesting experiences with a navigation? I, I don't have too much of a problem with navigation. But the, uh, the thing is, though, I, I, I'll use the car navigation. But most of the time, I switch to Apple CarPlay. So I'm actually using Google Maps on Apple CarPlay. So any problems that the car navigation system might have, I, I tend not to see. The only issue is, and I think this is a problem on, uh, on it, it depends which car company you're with. I've got a Skoda um, Octavia, and I can replicate the map on the on the central dash screen in on the uh, the, the screen in front of me, in front of me, in front of the driver. So that if you go to Google Maps, then you don't get it in front of you. And uh, I think other people have a problem if you have a head-up display, then you don't. If you're on Google Maps, you don't see it on the on the head-up display. So that I think that's how some automakers are getting you to uh, use their own embedded system, which they can then, of course charge you to upgrade that's the big issue i have but I, I think i find navigation you know it generally knows where i am only only so often it sort of chucks me off and uh, or you know gives me some duff instruction we'll continue our conversation with the a e team on the hits and misses of today's new in-car technology after this message Driving the Future is a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. Fueled by such factors as the climate crisis and the digital revolution, the automotive industry is changing. Whether we're talking about electric vehicles or the new customer experiences that digital technologies enable, whether it's transforming from being a manufacturer into an organization that provides mobility services, the map of the industry is being redrawn. Driving the Future has insights to help your organization shape the future of mobility. This season goes into such topics as electric-powered commercial vehicles, how to build strategic partnerships to increase innovation, and new omni-channel sales models. Subscribe now to the series on Capgemini, Spotify, and Apple channels, and let Capgemini help you drive the future you want. I wanted to get all of your feedback on voice recognition. It's one of the things that I think is getting somewhat better, but I wanted to get feedback from every one of you. And what do you think? Do you find voice recognition improving or is it still just as bad as it was X years ago? I find voice recognition is still incredibly painful. I don't use it a lot in my Skoda because it's not very good, but the other cars tend to be better. 
Tesla Model Y I tested recently. That was quite good. And I think you've experienced this as well, Doug. I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll tell us. But um, what the Tesla system does, it writes out while you're speaking. So you can see where it goes, where it messes up. Uh, I find that really useful. Whereas in the Skoda, you'll be like, um, call mother. And, uh, and then after a while, it'll be going calling Martha and uh, you know I well, you, you knew he was going to mess up in the first place so you didn't even bother <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've had something like that with the Volvos that I tried with the Google system that's one area where I find the uh, the Google system was superior to anything else that I tried uh, was the ability to understand what I was saying and how about you Luca are you finding that voice recognition is something that has improved I think voice recognition has improved. I'm not able to use it the car properly. Probably it's my fault. Uh, I use it a lot on the phone. When I have to ask something to Google Maps, I push the microphone and I dictate what I want to get and it gets me uh, the right things. So sometimes I tend to use on the car when the car they give me the option to use the embedded voice recognition of the car or the one of my phone. I prefer using the one of my phone. And Peter, what is your experience with voice recognition? Probably very similar to Lucas. I, I use it all the time on my Android phone. And uh, you mentioned the Volvo. Renault is also adapting the Android automotive operating system, which will use the Google Voice app as the main app for the, for the car control. So I'm looking forward to that. Not necessarily because it will work better than an embedded system, but because it's what I'm familiar with. And I think that will be the key to widespread voice recognition, which is that people will become very familiar with it. And perhaps as more companies adapt Android Automotive or similar from, you know, from other, other major tech companies, it might be something that's, that's really safe and intuitive to use. It seems that people who study ergonomics and things like that are very much in favor of voice recognition because you don't have to take your eyes off the road and you don't have to take your hands off the wheel. So uh, I, I, I'm hoping that it's, it's getting better and perhaps poised to make a, a great leap forward. We've been waiting for that for quite some time. But since we don't want to just talk about the bad stuff, we also want to talk a little bit about the good stuff, the stuff that we really like and that has just become something that we find has made driving that much more enjoyable or maybe just a little bit easier. And I'd like to start with the Luca. Can you tell us about any of the things that you find in these new generation models that you absolutely can't live without? I love uh, adaptive cruise control and I think the latest evolution are working uh, very, very well. And uh, I hate cars uh, that do not have that feature. And now it's quite common. I have it on a, on a small car electric, the Mokai. Uh, so it's a technology now is available to the public. And I think it's safe and it's relaxing. I, I love it. And how about you, Nick? Are there some technologies now that you just absolutely wouldn't want to buy another car that didn't have it? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with Luca. I'm a total adaptive cruise control aficionado. It just makes driving so relaxing um, compared to what, what happened before. I mean, it's like night and day compared to uh, uh, standard cruise control. I, I still drive a manual, so it's not as good as it should be, but I, I fear I'm probably on my last ever manual. I also like lane keeping as well. I have something that Skoda comes with something called Travel Assist, which is great, and I love it on other on, on other cars as well. I mean, it, it, 
not many some people don't like it and and also and obviously has its limitations i like it there as a safety net because the, a lot of the the, the uh, there's a lot of distracting technology in a car these days <laughs> since we're talking about technology so it's good to know that while you're scrolling through looking for the your favorite song your you know your car has got an eye on the on, on the lanes and whether you're in the right place or not Nick, before I move to Peter, I think you also had a kind of an interesting experience when it came to adaptive cruise control recently with that, that Tesla you mentioned that you yes. tried. Can you tell us a little bit about that? This is funny. I mean, the Tesla in the States, much of the coverage is based around its full self-driving, was what it calls full self-driving. And, you know, the internet is flooded with videos of people taking their hands off the wheel and seeing whether the car will make a turn by itself. But actually, the reality in Europe is that they're heavy, you know, that sort of uh, technology is heavily regulated. So, you know, when I was testing out the Model Y in the UK, I obviously wanted to see what it was like on the lane keep and uh, adaptive cruise control. So I sort of let, let it do its thing. But it's very, very, it's very, very aware of when you've got your hands on the wheel. And like most systems, it judges whether you've got your hands on the wheel by feeling the torque through the wheel. So if you're not turning the wheel, then it thinks you've let go. Now, I kept my hands on the wheel. I was just sort of trying to work out what, you know, what level of resting it would take. But uh, a couple of times I said, like, put your hands back on the wheel, which is what my Skoda does as well, you know. And uh, But on the third time, it kicked me off. I mean, and it, it said that uh, it was now, it was, you, I was no longer allowed to use the lane keep function until uh, the end of the journey. So basically, I would have had to have pulled over turned the car off, turned it back on again, and uh, and then continued my journey to continue using lane keep. So, you know, it was policing the system a lot harder, a lot tougher than actually uh, a lot of the European manufacturers do, which I thought was quite ironic. This must have been an interesting uh, situation, considering that you are a parent, that you were put in timeout by your Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, being told off by Tesla, of all people. Fantastic. And Peter, I think you're also a big fan of lane keeping in ACC, and you actually have taken it to a new art, right? Yes, I'm a huge fan of, of adaptive cruise control and lane keeping. And with regards to adaptive cruise control, I especially like uh, the systems that allow you to adjust the sort of safety margin. Because I found that if the safety margin is too far, your car slows down when you probably, you know, when you're hundreds of meters behind the next car. So I tend to adjust that to a fairly narrow margin, but I love cruise control. I've always loved it. And now that it's adaptive, uh, it's just made my life so much, uh, as everyone else has said, much more relaxed. So I often, I often even use the cruise control wand to slow down. So I adjust the speed up and down. So I don't need to um, actually even use the brake pedal sometimes. And I can go for hundreds of kilometers that way. It's, it's, it's great. I think my wife doesn't like it all that much because she sees my feet doing other things than being near the pedals. And also as far as lane keeping, I tend to turn it up to the strongest setting. So it's almost like there's an invisible hand yanking me towards the center of the lane. But I really do feel that it's a safety feature one quick mention of sort of invisible technology, which is adaptive headlights that turn off the high beam automatically when you pass a car uh, or turn it on automatically when you pass a car at night if you're on a country road. And, and, that, and I think that's a real safety feature, too. Oh, yes, but they can be really bad. Sometimes I'm, I was uh, driving a I think it was, a, it was another Skoda with the Matrix, the VW Matrix system. And my God, I got flashed. How many times did I get flashed by, 
when I was using that, I had to turn it off. I disagree with uh, Nick. I really love Matrix LED that are absolutely fantastic. And another feature I forgot to mention that is crucial is, is automatic emergency braking. The last crash I had happened in Lackley a number of years ago in, in city traffic. If I had an automatic emergency brake at the time, I didn't have that crash. So that's really proven that now we take for granted. But if you don't have it, uh, you will uh, miss it. Well, we definitely see that the technology that's being put in these cars is uh, making an impact. It's having some improvements on the way that we all get around. So thank you guys so much for joining me today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Nick Gibbs from his office in the UK. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Thank you so much, Luca, for joining us today from Italy. Thanks, Nick. And Peter, thank you also for joining us from France. Thank you, Doug. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for December 30th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for spending time with us today and since we started the show in March of this year. Wishing everyone a safe, successful, and healthy 2022. We'll be back January 13th with a new podcast.